So maybe a first question would be, give us a state of just your tribe. Madison has just been designated in December, Truax Field, as the home of F-35A. Doctor, can you start? Give us an overview. It's been an amazing year in Wisconsin politics, but there are big decisions ahead for 2021. So it's a great time to do a year in and look ahead. Newsmakers with uh, Assembly Democratic Leader Gordon Hintz of Oshkosh, who represents the 54th District. Gordon, thanks so much. I know you got busy kids upstairs and everything, but thanks for this opportunity to talk to Wisconsin Eye. Hey, happy uh, happy to be there. Lots uh, lots to talk about. I know. Okay, but let's keep it. Let's look at 2021. Although I promise we'll get a chance to talk about 2020. Your top goal for 2021 as the Assembly Democratic Leader. Um, you know, top goal is is to produce and to do every single thing that we can do as state government in Wisconsin uh, to uh, help the state manage the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, from education to the economy uh, to healthcare. And I think that's got to be the first thing that we will act on. Uh, and hopefully uh, take serious with a little more urgency than we saw uh, than this past session. Well, Gordon, let's stay on COVID because the immediate task of state government, uh, state government has been charged by the feds to vaccine at some point uh, all of Wisconsin residents that that want it and that are eligible. Um, You saw the list of assembly Republicans, the things they'd like to get done. One of those included oversight of who gets vaccinated and when is that a realistic goal uh no and not only is it a not a realistic goal it's a you know it's a dangerous idea and it's counter to uh the safe and effective and efficient uh distribution that really needs to take place i mean the biggest thing that state government is going to do over the next 10 months uh is the distribution of this vaccine and the advocacy public campaign that is going to need to accompany it to you know get to that 85% herd immunity threshold. So the idea that we would politicize this um, by members, some who, who probably don't even believe in vaccines or don't even take COVID that seriously uh, is the wrong way to do things. I mean, the reality is the executive branch is the branch that is appropriately tasked with administering and responding to public health crises like this. They're the ones who have the non-political expertise and personnel to do this. And and the legislature needs to get out of the way. Well, you served on the Joint Finance Committee before you became the leader. Do you think COVID funds should be the first draw on GPR, assuming that there is a new federal CARES package? Well, I think the big thing, and I'm a little more encouraged if I, I haven't read the news today, but we need the federal government to play a big role, especially when it comes to direct assistance to people that have been displaced, uh, that are being impacted, that are being evicted, and then small businesses uh, as a bridge to be able to get to the point where the vaccine is effective, where consumer confidence is back, and where schools are in person. Um, I think the question for us when we get the revenue situation in January is, if the federal government hasn't acted, or if they haven't covered some of the things that we need uh, in infusion of, is it worth spending some state resources now to help get us through this, even if it you know shrinks some of the resources that we might need for traditional programs? And you know, this is such a big deal that uh, I think you know we need to consider those things. And again, we're not talking about the scale of funding that the federal government can spend. I think Governor Evers was willing to put some real dollars behind some of the things that he proposed. 
Um, but I think that is one of the, you know, one, what will COVID compromise state legislation look like? And two, you know, will there be, you know, more more funds than anything that we certainly passed in April? And where will it fit in with what the feds are doing? Republican Senator Mark Lyon, the incoming co-chair of Joint Finance, says, hey, let's use Medicaid funds to pay some COVID-19 impact costs. The governor says that's a non-starter. If you agree with the governor, why is that a non-starter? Well, I mean, uh, I'm assuming because he doesn't necessarily want to take it out of that pot or perhaps the governor is you know, already utilizing that. It's interesting that any person involved in state government would consider doing anything with Medicaid from a revenue standpoint and not uh, talk about the elephant in the room about the more than $300 million of state dollars that would be freed up by expanding Medicaid um, like 39 other states have already done. Uh, that obviously is something that Democrats think uh, should happen that we're not optimistic about um, because we could put that money into additional health care plans for uh, COVID relief. We could do some of the things that the Hospitals Association wants in terms of increased Medicaid reimbursement in areas that aren't covered that they're seeing increased demand for under COVID. Uh, and certainly we could use that money to be able to offset some of the revenue losses we're experiencing with the economic decline. So I think any discussion around Medicaid funding and taking money out uh, should it really has to consider the expansion. Well, okay, you you were just reelected November 3rd. So this is my last question on the pandemic. Getting reelected, what did you hear from your constituents in the 54th? The businesses, the bars, the taverns, the lodging industry, impact of COVID on them and your residents? Devastating, um, but the reality is it's been uh, disproportionate in terms of who's impacted. We still see a robust real estate market. We see some businesses like grocery stores doing better than ever, as you've seen people's consumer behavior change. But uh, the service sector, bars, restaurants, uh, in-person retail, you know, the, they're being devastated. Many of them will not come back. And, of course, the workers who are there, who are primarily renters, um, you know, they're, they're, they've run out of their stimulus. They've expended, they've maxed out their credit cards. They're facing eviction. Um, we need to, the biggest thing that we can do to be able to restore and reopen the economy is going to be to contain the virus, which should have been the priority from day one, uh, to get people to get vaccinated as safely and swiftly as possible. Uh, and again, restore consumer confidence. But I think you know, the biggest priority has to be to get the federal government to come in to get the kind of business assistance that will bridge people through that. Um, it is some people that are really hanging on uh, some terrible stories out there uh, about folks. Everything they've built in their lives is at stake right now. Uh, and unfortunately, there, there isn't really a safe way to balance things. And, it, you know, with uh, if your business is predicated on in person and people. OK, um, let's move on to other major issues in 2021. How do you see the redistricting, the reapportionment process play out, Gordon? Well, this will be the first redistricting that I've been a part of um, that uh, is in, you know, in divided government. And I think it really depends. Uh, I think there's a recognition even by Republicans that it's a bigger issue now than it was a decade ago. We've never paid more attention. The public has never been more aware of the distortion of democracy that occurs when the system is rigged the way it is. Uh, there are members that know this. Again, I always highlight that my Republican colleagues, several of them said, well, I don't want to vote for this lame duck session, but, uh, you know, uh, I'll lose my seat if I don't or I'll get primaried if I don't. 
And that's a result of things like uh, redistricting. So we've had, you know, maps, uh, counties support resolutions all over the state for nonpartisan redistricting. We've certainly seen the need for it. Um, it really depends on where people come at this from. Uh, my guess is there will be multiple maps, perhaps starting with what the governor's, uh, you know, people's maps, uh, you know, produces. Uh, we may be producing our own map and the Republicans will produce theirs. Now, that may be the map that goes through the legislature. Um, and if it is done with consideration of, um, you know, framework that assures that maps were drawn as fairly as possible, uh, then there isn't really a problem. Um, if it's a map that the governor vetoes and it goes to the courts, I think the hopes are that the different maps are considered and, you know, the fair maps proposal might be sort of the line in the sand that, you know, helps determine whether that Republican map is, is truly as fair as possible or not. But uh, we'll have to see. I mean, the timing of this is going to be interesting too. Like how late can the process go uh, and allow the court process to go through before campaigning actually starts next year? And will there be some uh, efforts to circumvent things uh, by passing it by resolution and testing it through the courts as a way uh, to, again, drive home power and partisan advantage over a fair process? Let's talk about the six weeks following the November 3 election. Um, the questions raised by the Republicans uh, about some of the uh, guidance issued by the Elections Commission, the, the, the role of uh, voters uh, who said they were indefinitely confined. You saw the letter from 15 Republican senators raising uh, these key questions. What changes do we need to clarify in election laws in light of the, the six weeks post-November 3 debate, please? Well, again, if people can highlight why some of those things were actual problems um, and weren't problems in 2016 or 2018, and, and, and you know, I think you can, you can bring those up, but it seems to be many of those things were only raised as problems when you had an outcome that was less desirable uh, to Republicans with Joe Biden getting elected in the state. Uh, so much of what's occurred in the last six weeks seems to fulfill uh, Vladimir Putin's goal of uh, undermining confidence in the American system of, you know, of democracy. And, you know, this should be a time when we are championing and celebrating one of the best run, safest uh, and accountable elections in, in state history. When you consider uh, what our clerks went through and what the WEC, you know, administered with record turnout, record mail balloting um, and, you know, recounts that demonstrated that it worked. So, I'm not convinced that there's good intent behind some of these things, that they can justify changes and why that it would benefit um, the accountability of our elections without using it as a way to suppress the turnout. Um, we'll, you know, we'll do it. But what we should really be doing is figuring out, you know, what additional resources might be needed at the state level um, and at the local level. We have the most decentralized uh, elections of any state in the country, I think, with 1,800 clerks, uh, some who have very little experience, who the WEC says, it, you know, oftentimes it's, it requires a lot of training and direct input to, to get them up to, you know, speed. I mean, those are the things that would have the biggest impact on election accountability. I, I, these guys are, it's talk radio driven. And, you know, the goal will seem to be to undermine credibility of the 2020 outcome um, and to uh, perhaps, you know, justify some changes in their minds to make it harder to vote. Democratic Governor Tony Evers, as we speak, is preparing the 2021-2023 budget he will present in February. 
What advice are you giving the governor as he prepares that budget, Gordon? Well, I was happy to have a meeting with the the governor on the budget. Um, You know, it was simply to recognize that while the big issues that, you know, the biggest thing state government does, again, are are long-term, you know, pre-K through 12, uh, you know, 14 years of education, uh, highway infrastructure, prisons, healthcare, the UW system, it is still to use a COVID lens and anticipate the needs that are going to be there, uh, you know, starting in July. We know that we're going to be in a different place but we know that there are still gonna be adjustments that are needed out there uh, to build off of some of the good things that were in the last budget. Uh, but rec- I know that we're gonna have some, some questions about revenue. And so in some areas like the UW system, where uh, you know, if we're not gonna be able to provide the restoration of revenue necessary, it will be about considering giving them some more autonomy that I think is being requested by uh, the UW system. Um, you know, for schools related to their own capital budgets, especially with program revenue, um, you know, but some some other, you know, was, we really have the, the least autonomous system for individual campuses in the country. And I would say the same thing for local government. I know some of the biggest mayors met with the governor for years. We've kind of heard about the need for either an increase in shared revenue, but right now there's more of a push, I think, recognizing that that's not going to happen uh, for more control over local option taxes and revenue. The reality is, you know, Wisconsin's system has been made about making sure that property rich and property poor communities um, have the resources, uh, but we've definitely moved away from that. And too many communities are being put in a position where they're either kind of nickel and diming on fees or starting to cut services back. Uh, if we're gonna make Wisconsin a desirable place, it's gotta start with making sure our communities have the resources to invest in quality of life. Uh, and I think maybe it's time to put some ideas on the table that even if it needs to be referendum approved, um, that allow communities to, if we're not going to provide the resources that used to fund cities, um, to allow them to some additional options besides the property tax. There are three new leaders in the state Senate with uh, incoming Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahieu and the new Senate President Kappinga and Senate President Pro Tem Teston. Do you think Senate Republicans are going to be more willing to cooperate, I'm sorry, wrong term, to work with Democratic Governor Evers? I wish I could tell you yes. Um, you know, it, it's a different era. I mean, Scott Fitzgerald was there just about as long as I, you know, I, um, so I've, I've been here, I think. Uh, you know, it does seem like the conservative wing of uh, the Senate Republican caucus has uh, sort of emerged in leadership. Uh, I think these were some of the individuals that speak, uh, Speaker Voss, you know, mentioned as terrorists in 2017, given the sort of obstructing pretty rational measures on the transportation funding budget. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that they would be more willing uh, to work with Governor Evers. But uh, I always say this is the most optimistic time. It's all in front of us. There's always a chance to hit restart. And given how toxic politics are right now, the best thing that this state could do would come be to get legislators together, to get back to governing, to remind ourselves why we're here and and, and try to find the outcomes that we all desire. And so um, that the Senate is really the big question mark given you know that it's unknown, but I really hope that it's better than last session. But given that it's a gubernatorial cycle, um, my fear is that uh, we've got some work to do. Well, if the Senate Republicans have become more conservative, what about your own caucus? Is is your caucus more progressive going into the 2021, uh, 21, 23, 20, 
sorry, 2021-22 session, then last session, uh, with the election of people like Francesca Hong? Um, You know, I I don't like labels and boxes. I will say this. uh, We have an incredibly diverse, unique, uh, and when I say diverse, uh, certainly racially, but I also in diversity of experiences. uh, And Francesca is a great example of someone who's a small business owner, restauranteur, but who recognizes, you know, uh, community building, who recognizes uh, how many people work in the service sector that do it uh, as a career, but who are underpaid, underfunded, and don't have a lot of the supports that others in the economy have. And so that's an incredible perspective to bring. I would think the energy and experience and the diversity of ideas, especially of the 10 new freshmen, uh, are, is re-energizing to me. You know, it brings idealism. Um, you know, the two new pickups that we have uh, in Sarah Rodriguez and Deb Andraka, uh, both are incredible, um, going to be incredible members from day one. I mean, Sarah Rodriguez comes with a public health background that put her at the top of the legislature in terms of understanding uh, what it's like to navigate a pandemic and what best practices would be. So, um, look, we still are, you know, have Democrats who share uh, progressive ideals related to uh, opportunity, fairness, equality, accountability, privacy. Um, and, and I look forward to steer that and make sure that people know that there's a uh, an alternative. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't kind of get into the whether we're, you know, more liberal or more progressive. I mean, we're a big tent still, um, but we're going to harness the energy and uh, motivation of our members to get things done and, and uh, do our best to steer. Why is the election of Joe Biden good for the state of Wisconsin's future? The election of Joe Biden was good for the world. Uh, you know, f- first off, having a leader, uh, hopefully to restore uh, and just simply not have the distractions that we had with President Trump, not the level of uh, d- division, racism, cynicism, um, lies, you know, half truths, uh, ignoring things like a pandemic. Um, Joe, no one can say that Joe Biden isn't experienced uh, and isn't ready to govern from day one. And I think so many things, I mean, the idea that you would have a 50-state response to a global pandemic, uh, there's never been an issue that's involved a bigger federal role than a pandemic. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that that role will be assumed under a Biden administration that recognizes it and that views the states as true partners, not as, you know, 50 individuals trying to to trying to get it out there. So, um, you know, look, he's got detailed policy plans that is not aimed at one group or another, but to, to sort of raise all boats. But I think it's the seriousness, the knowledge, the engagement, uh, the willingness to put professionals in a position to do their job that we can all look forward to, uh, and just the overall restoration of decency. Uh, Joe Biden's been a really decent guy, and uh, I think he knows that the world is watching. Okay, I realize you've got another meeting, so just a couple questions. Biggest, um, biggest joy for you in the politics of 2020? Was it the election of Mr. Biden or is it something else? It was a really difficult election cycle. Um, I think all members would tell you that uh, just from the uh, level of stress and, you know, less calm uh, from the, you know, from the coronavirus, less in-person campaigning uh, and, but more negativity and trolling and hostility in a way that I hadn't seen before uh, that, you know, made it less joyful. But I, but I will say this. I mean, it, it mattered to so many people and the increased 
massive turnout that we saw. Uh, every time I think people don't care, I'm, I run into a 15-year-old whose mother says, he's really interested in politics. And I'm like, how is it possible? Um, but at the end of the day, no matter how much stress there has been on our system, where it feels like things are going to fall apart, we still have people who come to the table, who care, who recognize that politics is how we change things. And while I certainly appreciated the support I received, and I'm grateful uh, and honored to be selected to to uh, to serve another term, and I always try to you know find the juice for how I can you know get done all the things I want to get done. Um, you know, it's the people that are involved that help make the election of, of Joe Biden together. Um, it's, it's underrepresented populations that worked really hard that now, you know, feel like they have a seat at the table that recognize the power of political engagement. And, and that, yes, that all resulted in Joe Biden winning. And um, it is part of the good feeling. But, but that was the most important and significant thing that will probably happen perhaps in my lifetime. Which brings me to my last question. Two years ago. After passage of the lame duck legislation by the Republicans signed by outgoing Governor Walker, I've never seen you more angry. Are you significant, significantly more hopeful going into the start of the next session? The thing that bothered me most about the lame duck session is they did it at the time when things should be the most hopeful, right? Uh, this is the period where it's all in front of us. The period after an election before things have started is always an opportunity to hit restart. You let the election fall down, you let bygones be bygones, you have accepted winners, uh, you have the seats, you get new assignments and you start forward and you say, what do we wanna get done this session and how do we want this to go? There'll be things that we can agree on and we can choose to get them done. And then the things we can agree on, we will take to the voters and have another election cycle. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm glad there's not another lame duck session, but I was disappointed with how the rest of last session went because they set the tone with the lame duck. Um, but, you know, I think we have an obligation to demonstrate to the public, especially on COVID legislation, uh, that we can lead. That even in our toxic political environment, that leaders can come, come up and do what they can and what they should, because the last thing that should be political is the fallout from health, education, and the economy of, of a pandemic that none of us control. Assembly Democratic Leader Gordon Hintz of Oshkosh represents the 54th District. Gordon, I know you've got a meeting and you probably need to buy Christmas presents for your young kids. So thank you very much. Happy holidays right, to you and your holidays. family. Thanks, thank you, Gordon. Steve. Appreciate thank you. it. Bye. Bye. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civic broadcast network, providing gavel-to-gavel -gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol. 